Hello and welcome to Misbehave, the podcast which explores human behavior in business and how it impacts people, performance and profit. This episode is all about behavior in workplace culture, in particular the concept of a cozy culture compared to a high performing one. If cozy culture isn't a term you're familiar with, think surface level nice to haves instead of purpose driven initiatives. We'll discuss how this can include things like unlimited holidays, pool tables and headphones in the office. We will dispel common misconceptions of company culture and explain how taking time to understand employees' behavior will result in motivated and driven people, which completely elevates your culture and performance. Let's misbehave. Welcome back. You're with Laura and Sarah. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the behavioral pitfalls of a cozy culture. So let's start with the different cultures and the definition of what we mean by cozy culture. So in our mind, you've got three major groupings when it comes to culture. At one end of the extreme, you've got a high conflict, completely unproductive culture where there's probably very little in terms of things like values, um, behavioural expectations. There's high conflict and not in a positive sense. People are disengaged. There's low performance. That's kind of one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum there's what we call a cosy culture. And that's where a business might have started off down the right track from a cultural perspective. They put in place values. They have started looking at cultural initiatives, but actually they've lost their way a little bit. And some of the initiatives that they subsequently have in place don't are not purposeful in driving performance for the business. There's often the opposite to what I've just described around there's really low levels of conflict and not not any, hardly any positive conflict. There's consensus across the business. There's very little debate or opinion. And people might feel or look happy and engaged on the surface, but actually underneath they're not intrinsically motivated or performing at their best. Now, obviously what, what we look at is something that is much more strategic and elevated from those two cultures. And we call that the high performance culture. And that's one where the leaders in the business understand the dominant behaviours of their team. They've built a culture that is not only highly values driven, but also drives performance related behaviours according to each individual person in each job. So the people in the business are motivated to do their best work. They're engaged with their managers and their leaders. And you've got equal balances of healthy conflict, people bring forward opinions, they drive um, autonomy and ownership. So you've got that real high performance edge to it. Yeah. And I suppose just to link that through with the misbehaviour piece of the podcast, although that's not describing Laura and I's (laughs) behaviour, but it can sometimes mean that you can look at a a culture within an organisation and you can spot that they're either missing something Mm -hmm. or that a cosy culture, for example, you might think that people are misbehaving or they are generating an extreme on the conflict end, on the on the other end of the spectrum, that that's misbehaving. But actually what we're looking at in this is what are you missing from a behavioural standpoint? Yeah, yeah because that misbehaviour in a, in a cosy culture could just be someone having an opinion or asking a provocative question and that's then branded as misbehaviour because it's upsetting the status quo of the cosy culture but actually it's 
it's good behavior. It's just in the guise of a cozy culture that doesn't fit. And often with cozy culture, and it's a bit of a buzzword that there was, there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of noise around that subject or ha- that has been over the last few years. It's really, it's where people and teams can get like over familiar. So it maybe started out with really, really good intentions, but that almost becomes a bit of a complacency around the team dynamics. And it can it can feel like nice and friendly. And, you know, often when we do value sessions with businesses, they talk about it wanting it to feel like a family and feeling like everybody gets on. Now, they're, they're obviously lovely things, but what we don't want is to go to the point where people feel like they can't broach a difficult subject, they can't discipline someone, they can't have, a you know, give some really sort of potentially tricky feedback. What we don't want is to get into an, an environment where everybody literally is. It's just the good measure of a meeting, for example, is if everybody agrees. Yeah. For us, we, we I mean, we, we train on driving positive conflict. That's one of the subjects that is in our leadership program. And it's really important that people feel like it's really, it's expected that people will debate and that you'll bring your voice to the table and you'll have a conversation. And I think from a behavioral standpoint, depending on what your behaviors are, you will be more likely to do that than other people, but that's not a negative thing. That shouldn't yeah. be perceived as a negative within within a team or a business. Yeah. I think that complacency is the right word, isn't it? Because it's sometimes, you know, if you take the word the word family, sometimes that's then, oh, we don't address the misbehavior because we're just a family and we're all nice to each other. And and it's about having in our mind equal measures of absolutely holding people to your values. So say, for example, you've got a value around people and building good relationships with people. That's that's your value and that should absolutely be measured and held to account. But it's not the be all and end all. So if you're in our business and you value people and you hold relationships, but actually you're not performing in these five other areas of your job, that's not good enough. That's the difference. I think the cozy culture ends up just measuring people based on values and then potentially doing lots of these nice to haves, which let's debate some of these. Okay, let's dive in. <laughs> so unlimited holidays, should we start there? <laughs> we can start there. I mean, this is definitely something that we have firsthand experience yeah. of. So let's just Think about it from a behavioural standpoint. So Laura and I introduced unlimited holidays a while back. This was a few years Surprise ago. Surprised you said Laura and I, because I think I did and then you blamed me for it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's maybe closer to the truth. But what happened was that we basically, you know, it, it, to be honest with you, for being really honest, we felt like it was an in thing at the time. It was a good few years ago and we felt like it would be a real benefit to attract the kind of people and we wanted. And it motivated us. It motivated us for sure. But what happened was we gave people an unlimited holiday and we had um, a number of people in our team who were highly process driven. So they they were demonstrating behaviours like they need to know the how, the what and, and they like a process. So they kept coming to us with things like, questions like, um, if does that bank holiday count as one of my holidays? If I take a week off, how many holidays will I still have left? And we were like, what are you not getting about the fact that this is unlimited? They are unlimited days, i.e. not capped. <laughs> now, just as a caveat, what obviously the, the caveat in our business was there had to be scope to cover. You had to be able to hand over work. Obviously, it couldn't impact on client delivery, et cetera, et cetera. So there was some rules around unlimited holiday. But 
to be honest with you, the only people that was working for was really us. Yeah. And so we ended up withdrawing it as a benefit. And I know other businesses went, you know, we're very aware that other businesses have, still have that policy and it, and it works for them. But what it was actually doing was it was sending the more process driven people in our business. It was actually causing them stress and they were actually just unsure and ambiguity isn't a good thing. Yeah. So, you know, what we thought was like going to be the best benefit ever actually wasn't that great for the for the people within the business. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't good for us either every time they asked the same question. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's the thing. It's like what we're not saying is any of the things we're talking about are not good benefits, but it's about asking the question, why are we doing this? You know, what's the reason behind it? What are we... What are we hoping to drive with this? And actually, does it fit the people in our team? Whenever people ask us about dominant behaviours, obviously we do, we help businesses do an assessment of their business that helps them see what the dominant behaviours are in the business, which makes things like this a lot easier. But you can look at sectors and draw some conclusions. So often, you know, in a professional services setting, in a more traditional sector, you're going to have people, you know, if you take, for example, accounting or legal, you are more likely to have people who are more procedural, not everyone in the business because there's different roles, but you're more likely to have a higher dominance of procedural people. So something like unlimited holidays, which is less procedural, may not motivate. However, if you're a tech startup or you're Tesla or Netflix or someone where actually you've got more people that are driven by having choices, by having flexibility, by not being told what they can and can't take. Something like un unlimited holidays would motivate more of those types of people. So it's just about, you know, this whole piece around not falling into the, oh my gosh, that looks, this company did it, Google did it, therefore it must be brilliant. Our culture needs to go down that route. And often that's when the cosy culture kicks in of you're doing all these great surface level stuff and you've got all these benefits, but they actually don't, don't engage anyone. Yeah. It's, I mean, I suppose that the, if you, if you think about anything, it's just loop it back to strategy and what's right for your business. Is this a strategic move? Is it going to motivate our staff? Is it going to motivate teams to perform better? And really that then loops through to the vision of the business and where you want to take it. And I think often when we do sort of values and behavioural session, behaviour sessions with businesses to establish kind of, to set the, set the goalposts really, that's a really great start when you're developing your culture. Like what, what values do you want to live by? What kind of people do you want to attract into the business? What behaviours underpin those values? Like that is really, really valuable, but it's the starting point. Then obviously looking at how do you, how do you then hold people accountable to that and embed it into the business. So, you know, that's the second stage. For us, it's often with businesses where they don't separate the performance management of the people versus holding them accountable for sort of behaviour and actual code of conduct stuff. Yeah. Um, and there is a difference. I think what we're saying is, is like a high performing culture needs to do both. Yeah. Okay. So pool tables, it's the office. <laughs> I mean, I've worked in a business before yeah. where they had a pool table I and I have to say it was, it was such a benefit for the people. It was a tech business, tech startup, and uh, we were generating new tech businesses all the time. And we had a lot of developers and designers and they loved that breakaway from the desk. And it actually created 
an opportunity for people to talk and meet and have a bit of have a bit of downtime. So where typically they maybe wouldn't get up and come and sit and have a sandwich and a coffee with each other, but they'd go and play pool. Yeah. So that was like, it was such a, such a big thing. And I remember one, we threatened to take it away because we needed the floor space. There was like, there was a riot, you know, there was literally like, no, no, we need the pool table. Thinking about it in our business currently, I'm not sure a pool table would have the the same effect. Again, it's like horses for courses. What's your thoughts? Yeah. I think, I think that's a good example though, isn't it? Of It's almost like, the different behavioural mixes in that business, the pool table provided a way for people to come together in a more comfortable way. But then you can flip that. And I think, again, if we think about, I know where um, the business that I was talking about. So the pool table was kind of off to one side. Equally, we've had clients where they stuck something in the middle of the office and there are beha- dominant behaviours in some people that mean for them to concentrate, they need no distractions and it was very distracting to a point where it needed to be taken away so there's you know it again everything that we're saying it's going to be about thinking about it and actually considering the behaviors I mean that that kind of reminds me of what we then titled headphone gate that we had (laughs) at one client where they did a very specific type of job and actually if you think about certain roles that require people to be really independent workers that need quiet sort of development, anything sort of overly analytical. Those types of people are typically going to want either to work in an office on their own, to work from home, or to be able to work with headphones in and zone out. And actually, from a cultural perspective, they said, okay, no headphones. We want everybody to interact and for this to feel like an inclusive office. And, you know, the thought process wasn't wrong. But what it did was it then spent, sent all the independent people into a spin and they couldn't get any work done because they were then sat next to people who were not independent and actually were motivated and got more done by shouting over the desk to each other. So again, with, with that business as an example, it was a balance. It was, listen, when you're working on independent projects, put your headphones in. But from a cultural, from a, and that that's the difference. Great example of the difference between value-driven behaviour and job performance related behavior because actually what they were doing it was they were saying our values are to be inclusive collaborative we want people to feel like they connect with each other so that was the non-headphone thought process but actually from a performance behavioral perspective we need people to be able to be allowed to work in a way where they perform so for them it was just about a middle ground of do what you need to do to get your job done, but we're also going to insert some opportunities here to take your headphones out and contribute and collaborate. Absolutely. And I think really the measure is, is what kind of working environment are you providing your staff for them to be at their most productive? Yeah. And that that that's what that one came down to, wasn't it? It was like, we want to make sure that people are being productive, which drives up performance. And sometimes we can... I mean, I have been guilty of this way back when, before I had ever done any of the behavioural stuff. I mean, I love a bit of change and I thought everybody should mix up their desks. And I used to do standard move around at around eight months, six to eight months. (laughs) And literally used to put, you know, people next to people who were of a different uh, working style, like more independent. And then I put all the people who like to be collaborative, team player, like really wanting to be in amongst people and have shared responsibility. I mixed them all up. And I remember, I didn't know this stuff, but I remember people emailing us saying, Sarah, I can't get any work done. This is like 
the worst desk like please move me back to the corner and you've uh, messed everybody's vibe up. like literally but we d- I didn't know what I didn't know yeah. and that's one of the reasons we're doing these podcasts is so that we can actually just share some of the learning but like some of this stuff is is actually relatively simple to think about I'm not saying you know having a desk restructure is easy but it, it's simple to think about and then consider where you can but productivity, ultimately, who who doesn't want a business that's productive? Who doesn't want to give their staff an opportunity to be in an environment that where they're going to really excel? But I think that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because often, as leaders, you've got you've got a tough job because you're trying to create a business that is both enjoyable to be part of, but people equate high performance with not enjoyable. And actually, when we talk to people within the businesses that we work in they normally motivated equals happy mm-hmm. to some extent yeah. so when you're not focusing on performance I think it was Brene Brown I was reading her book and she said unclear is unkind and that's such a good example of sometimes I think leaders Again, you have extremes, don't you? But in a cosy culture, often leaders shy away from being too direct, too dictatorial, too standard, too procedural. And actually what they do is a byproduct of that because they really with the the focus of, we don't want to give people too many rules to follow and we want them to like coming to work and we want this to be a nice place. But actually what they're doing in, in the process is becoming really unclear and people don't have boundaries and they don't have expectations and they're not given an opportunity to work in an environment where they feel motivated. They've got the tools to do their best work. I mean, if you look at Gallup's employee engagement survey, which has been tested by millions of people, some of the questions on there are things like, I have the resources and capability to do my best work. I have a manager that is clear with me and supports me and measures my performance and gives me development opportunities. And they're all performance related things. Yeah. They're just, and often that's the mistake of the cozy culture. It's like, let's do nice, lovely, familiar, family things versus let's purposefully give people the tools that they need to do their best job. Let's motivate them. Let's engage them, but in a way that drives performance. That's kind of the differences. Let's just look at some best practice then for how some of the listeners potentially could think about it in their business. I mean, you just talked about sort of looking at people's performance and their managers being able to help motivate them in that area. Let's just dive into the subject of career pathways and, you know, how, so for example, we know that a lot of people who are more achievement driven So potentially who really like the academic route or they like to have visibility of where they're going, what the next route is in their their career pathway, what do they need to achieve, what things do they need to study, what CPD do they need to have. Those kinds of people do benefit massively from having visibility of their career pathway. If you're not achievement driven and you're more, say, people focused and people driven, then that career pathway is not necessarily going to be a, a carrot on a, you know, a stick to get you to perform higher. It's difficult for businesses to be able to spot that. What you tend to do is to to manage and appraise based on what you would want or what process you've been given. And we know, I mean, we've got a, a number of examples, people we've worked with, experience that where people, you know, for example, high professional services, 
like professional, you know, type, professional type of businesses, they generally, we, uh, we've had experience with sort of legal and accountancy firms and things where they do, we've, we've profiled their teams and it's came out that they have a big percentage of people who are achievement driven. As yeah. a result, they've then put in a career pathway system and we've yeah. worked with them on that. And that has really helped drive up motivation and performance within the business. Businesses typically that have, that you've got to do a lot of academic qualifications to get into or that academia route, often that's a good link, isn't it? It's like yeah. if you run a business um, where people have to go down a certain route from an academia perspective and that's linked to an achievement, that's what you're going to get. But if we flip that, we look at healthcare, as an example, again, clients that we've seen, typically they're more driven, and this won't be everybody in the business, but again, like you talked about the percentage of people, mm. they're driven more by that impact on people piece. So Absolutely. like you said, a career pathway, if they were to ask us that, that might not be the right fit for someone like them. Yeah, they're going to be more motivated to potentially something like they might be attracted to working if a business is a, a B Corp or if they have like a, a, a big charity focus or a community um, engagement strategy within the business where, you know, they're doing a lot of fundraising or their 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 measure is really their impact on other people. Like that is going to really light them up and make them productive. And that's really about focusing on what motivates someone to a, stay within the business and do a, a great job and not go and look elsewhere because they don't feel motiva- motivated. Yeah, yeah. So let's summarise a couple of tips just that you can take away from all of this. So the first one really is to assess whether you fall into that cosy culture bracket. You know, we talked before around some ways that you can test that. You know, if you've got low levels of conflict, People, there's a lack of opinion or debate. You tend to make decisions by consensus. On the surface, everybody likes each other. But there's potentially a lack of that real strategic performance management. You might fall into that cosy culture piece. So do an assessment of that. Think about those three things. Do you have a lot of them in your business? And then from that, look at the cultural pillars that you've got. So when we say cultural pillars, we mean key initiatives. So it could be things like a career pathway we've talked about. Um, it could be your performance management structure. It could be your benefit structure. Look at all of those pillars that you've got and ask yourself the question, are they motivating and are they driving up performance? Or actually, are they just there? Are they just noise? Are they things that you think people want, but actually you haven't got any evidence that they're motivating people and they're not that and you know that they're not actually increasing performance? Because that's the key, really. It's thinking about linking the behaviors of your people, that misbehavior piece, making sure you're not missing anything that people need, and then giving them what motivates them. Because in turn, if you motivate them, their performance will go up. Thank you for choosing to listen to the Misbehave podcast. Hit the subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.